Well, good morning. How about if we do something a little bit different here? I'm not gonna ask you to get out of your chair and go shake somebody's hand, but would you do this? Would you at least look at the people who are around you and wave or make people feel welcome and we'll make it a little bit warmer in here. I'm glad that you're here and uh, that you've taken the time to come and and, uh, celebrate with us this morning. For those of you who who are online, you can't really wave across a, a computer screen or a camera, but we're glad that you are with us too. And uh, I'd like to start with a prayer, but we're going to start a new series this morning that we're calling The Trouble with Jesus. Uh, What is the trouble that you get into sometimes when you try to talk about Jesus? Why is it that there are some people who are very resistant or even oppositional toward the person, the name, and the authority of Jesus? And we're going to explore this for the next few weeks. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, thank you for the opportunity we have here today to come into your presence. We know that because of the work that Jesus has already done on the cross, that he has made a way for us to have access directly to you. We don't need to pray in the name of of a saint or some great Christian. We, We can pray directly to you through the invitation of our Lord Jesus. And so we We bring our prayers to your throne and we recognize we live in a difficult day when we hope that our prayers actually reach your ears and we're grateful that they do through the promise of Jesus. So we lift up our nation and all of the division and the struggles and the anger and the angst that's out there right now. Lord, we we give all this to you and we ask that you would be at work in ways that are beyond what we can see. We pray for President Trump and Mrs. Trump and, and all the people we've been reading about in the last few days who've come down with the virus. We pray for all of those who are sick, folks that we know, folks that we don't know. We pray for those who are working on a vaccine. And we ask that you would give them wisdom and clarity and excellence in the work that they do as scientists and chemists and whatever it takes to be a part of that process. Lord, we pray for wisdom for our governmental leaders here in the state of Massachusetts and all across the country and town by town as uh, Board of Healths and, and other groups try to figure out what are healthy practices for us. Lord, we pray for wisdom for ourselves as We get tired of this period and we're tempted to let down our guard. Help us to be wise and caring in the way that we treat each other and the way that we go about even these protocols. Give us insight during this time so that we will understand the times and how it is that we are to live. Let us be like the men of Issachar who were praised in the Old Testament who understand the times and know what to do. And we pray about that in regard to our mission. Our mission is that we would be in the process of helping people who are far from Jesus, far from faith, far from God, to discover you, discover the ways that you impact our lives, that your grace creates a a, a clean slate so that we can know you and relate to you and bring our praises and our prayers and our problems to you. Lord, we ask that you would be at work as we as a church continue 
And despite the limitations that are around us, thank you that the work of the church is not dependent upon simply all being together in one hour in one place. But whenever we do your will and we, we commit an act of love and faithfulness in the name of Jesus, that ministry goes on. And I pray that you would give us opportunities to share the hope that we have. Hope for life today, hope for the future, hope for heaven with those who are struggling to find hope in this very difficult world that we find ourselves in. Guide us today as we look into your word. We, we want to understand more how it is that we can have confidence in you. And so I pray that you'd, you'd give understanding, not only help me with the words that I say, but help us as we, we listen to your word and as we apply this to our lives. So thank you for the opportunity we have. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Several years ago, Dr. Joe Stoll, who was then the president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, was one of the keynote speakers at Vision New England's annual Congress. It was a large event, and people from all around the New England would come together for a weekend to hear top-notch Christian teachers. And at the time, I had a volunteer role ser serving on the planning committee for this Congress event. So I was assigned to be Dr. Stoll's host for the day. That meant that I met Dr. Stoll, who told me to call him Joe, when his car delivered him to the Heinz Auditorium in, in Boston. And then I had to make sure that he got to all the places where he would teach throughout that day. Dr. Stoll talked about a book that he published that year that was called The Trouble with Jesus. The book was based on his observation of a profound contrast of events in the aftermath of September 11, 2001, what, what we have come to simply call 9-11 where two radically different approaches to the use of the name Jesus was on full display. Dr. Stoll's talks and our conversations that day have been percolating in the back of my mind, and that process has led to this series of messages that we're beginning today using Dr. Stoll's title, The Trouble with Jesus. So let me state the main concept right up front as we begin this teaching time today. The trouble with Jesus is that he doesn't neatly fit into or stay in the boxes that we and our society at large try to create for him. So it is essential that we constantly do our best to understand Jesus as the Bible presents him and that we wrestle with the ways that modern historians, church movements, political causes, and even popular culture try to shape and package Jesus to fit current agendas. Does that make sense to you? We, we live in an age where all kinds of people try to fit Jesus in to their cause, and in the process, the danger is that Jesus may become distorted in our understanding. So we want to understand the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of the witness of the apostles. And our topic this morning is only way Jesus so good morning. This is the third Sunday this fall that we have welcomed people back here into our worship center for a live and in-person service. I'm grateful that you are here. This is a whole lot better than preaching to an empty room and a camera. And I'm glad to see those of you who are also uh, watching online. We're glad that you are a part of North River Church too. Throughout this COVID shutdown period, I've become more and more convinced that we need greater clarity about Jesus and about the hope and confidence that come through fully understanding 
the Jesus that his closest followers and apostles portrayed. So let's start by looking at this first thought in the, in the trouble with Jesus by looking at this concept of Jesus and his only way teaching. We're going to look at this morning that the trouble with only way Jesus. It starts when we consider what I would call the new tolerance of our day. Jesus makes some rather bold statements. For instance, he says in John chapter 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Dr. Stoll in his book begins to paint the picture for us through a scene from the Chicago prayer breakfast that happened shortly after 9-11. He describes having attended the Chicago prayer breakfast for many years and enjoying it and looking forward to it, but this year was different. It came after an initial wave of unity and prayer that broke out after September 11th. Churches on those first few Sundays were packed all around the country. People were looking for hope. Billy Graham addressed the nation and was often called America's pastor. And for a short while, politically correct measures had been put aside. People were calling for Jesus openly. Jesus was in vogue. And the nation had stood for prayer in unison. And then came this Chicago prayer breakfast a few months later, which was probably typical of things that happened in a number of places around the country. All the prominent politicians were there. Many of the well-known pastors and cultural figures were there too. And diversity was on display as a number of people led the gathering in prayer. There was a woman who was a reformed Jewish rabbi who led a prayer and an Islamic imam, a Roman Catholic priest, a few pastors from theologically liberal Protestant churches. But Dr. Stoll was listening for one thing that he never heard that day. There wasn't one prayer offered in that prayer breakfast that invoked the name of Jesus. And it prompted him to write and to think deeply about what was going on in our nation. This is described by several writers, including Dr. Stoll, as the new tolerance. And it's been building for some time. The new tolerance has been around for a while. It seeks to employ the greatest amount of diversity possible together on a platform that declares that all ideas are equal. That is principle number one. And the first corollary of that view is that all are welcome except if you fail to embrace principle number one that all ideas are equal. And because of principle number one, those who pray in the name of Jesus are not always welcome. This new approach to tolerance stands in contrast to tolerance as it has been classically understood through the centuries. Classic tolerance allows differing ideas and worldviews to be presented in a forum that treats presenters with respect while ideas and beliefs are listened to and subject to the critique that comes that is based on the soundness or the truthfulness upholding each idea or belief. In other words, we can have all kinds of diversity based on race and ethnicity and background and income levels and all of those things, but ideas are either good or bad. But the new tolerance says, no, 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 all ideas are equal And if you criticize one of those ideas or promote one as more truthful than the others, then you violated the first principle of the new tolerance. 
This kind of tolerance seeks to destroy the concept behind classic tolerance by subjecting every presenter and every belief system to the dominant principle that all ideas are equal. Now, you and I know in the practical realm that not all ideas are equally valid. There are people who have really strong, wonderful opinions, and there are people who have really bad, foolish opinions. And when we operate on foolish opinions, we get in trouble, right? When we gain wisdom from somebody else, that elevates them in the way that we see them, in the way that we process information. The new tolerance is offended by the exclusivity and the authority of Jesus. Now, you may have wondered for some time, maybe you're a younger person or you're newer to faith or you've just never had a chance to ask the question, why do Christians so often pray in the name of Jesus? Why is that a big deal to us? There are actually three reasons that I can think of. The first is that Jesus invited his followers to invoke his name when praying to God about anything related to furthering his kingdom mission. This promise was related to carrying out the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a blanket promise that allows us to treat Jesus as our personal genie who fulfills every wish, but rather he's saying that as you're going about carrying on his work, he says, whatever you ask in my name, if it glorifies the Father, I will honor that request. The second reason is that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that that's one of his roles. He is our advocate sitting at the right hand of the Father. And as our advocate, he brings our prayers directly to God. That is one of the other reasons why we pray in the name of Jesus as Christians. As the risen Son of God, he has an authority that is unmatched in the religious world. You may be taught to pray to somebody else, but there is nobody else who sits next to God the Father who sits in that place of God-given authority through whom we are told by God or by Scripture to pray through, except Jesus. The third reason is that praying in the name of Jesus was quickly modeled by the disciples and the followers of Jesus in the first century. We see this in the prayers, the greetings, and the benedictions that are embedded in the New Testament letters. So, the trouble with Jesus starts with this idea of the new tolerance that we see in our day. Please don't think that we're rejecting the idea of tolerance. There's a lot that's good about classic tolerance. But this new tolerance doesn't stand the test of time. Here's the second thought. Jesus never fits the expectations of his opponents. This is part of the trouble with Jesus. He never completely matches up to the way that those who are against him see him. So we read these words in Acts chapter 4. I really wanted to focus on verse 12, but I need to give a little bit of context. So I'm going back to verse 10 of Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are speaking. They've just been arrested, and they're on trial. And in the midst of their speech, they say, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Now here's the backstory on those verses. 
Peter and John encountered this reality early in the Christian era, this discomfort with the name of Jesus, this trouble with Jesus' concept. Forty days after Jesus' ascension back into the heavens, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles with power. We call that the day of Pentecost. One result was that their preaching about Jesus became bolder and more powerful, and crowds were drawn to them. These fishermen and tax collectors spoke clearly about what they had seen and learned from following Jesus directly as his first band of disciples. They had personally witnessed the life and mission of Jesus, and this was the content of their teaching. Here in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested by the members of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a religious body. It was made up of leaders from the different subsets of Judaism that was allowed to rule over most local and cultural affairs in Jerusalem by the Romans who had taken possession of the city. The main event behind their arrest stemmed from a healing that they had done of a lame beggar. This man had been born with the inability to walk and in the temple courts, in other words, just outside the temple, they, in broad daylight, had healed this man. And there are many, many witnesses to all of this and they had done it in the name of Jesus. A crowd quickly followed them to a place called Solomon's Colonnade and Peter and John began teaching and told the crowd that this healing was done by faith in the power of Jesus. They also told them that the resurrection had proved that Jesus was the long-expected Messiah. And then Peter and John were soon arrested and forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus. But they insisted that Jesus is the only name given under heaven, by God in other words, who can assure us of salvation from our sins, from our rebellion, and even from rejection of God. You see, Jesus didn't neatly fit into the expectations of the religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem. They wanted to hold on to whatever power and prestige they still had left. They were mystified, though, because they couldn't initiate a healing like that. And so they wanted it to go away, and they wanted Peter and John to go away. They wanted to put fear into them and make them stop teaching in the name of Jesus. They thought that everything had already quieted down in Jerusalem after Jesus had left the scene and ascended. But now they were finding there were more than 2,000 Jewish believers in Jesus in Jerusalem alone who were claiming to follow Jesus since the day of Pentecost. And then Peter and John show up and they initiate this dramatic healing of this man that everybody had known who's always been a beggar in the city who'd always been unable to walk since birth. So they had Peter and John arrested and they interrogated them and at one point they asked this very specific question. By what power or what name did you do this? And they answered that Jesus was the stone the builders had rejected who had become the cornerstone of God's people. This was a reference to a statement made by David back in Psalm 118 that the day would come when the leaders of the people would reject the very cornerstone of the new work of God. And so Peter and John were telling them, this is what the Psalms have been saying all this time, that Jesus is the cornerstone. 
Now, in the old world, there are pictures of cornerstones. Sometimes they're on a corner of a building. Sometimes they're at the pivot point of an archway, and there's a large stone that is cut in rock in kind of a quadrilateral shape, and it's placed in, in, in the midst of these other stones in such a way that it holds this curved archway together. If you pulled the cornerstone out, all of the other stones would fall. The point of the Scriptures is that this is the role that Jesus places plays for us, that he is placed in such a position in our lives and in the history of the work of what God is doing that you, if you remove Jesus, everything else falls apart. And they wanted people to know that Jesus is the cornerstone of all of God's work in the world. And they added that Jesus is the only name by which we can be saved. Unable to deny the evidence of this miracle, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, then forbade Peter and John from speaking in the name of Jesus. And they said, sorry, but we can't stop. We're going to continue to speak in the name of Jesus. Now, do you see the parallel in our day? Unable to deny the evidence of the work of God through Jesus, they tried to force Peter and John to stop speaking in Jesus' name. This is what people do to hold on to power and control when they are unable to overturn the evidence and when they aren't able to change the hearts of people who have been touched by the power of Jesus or changed by the power of Jesus. Jesus never fits the expectations of those who are opposed. And Jesus never fits in because there is no true comparison. In John chapter 14, Jesus said these words. He was trying to prepare his disciples that the day was coming when he would leave them and that they would have to operate without him. And so he said to them at one point, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here in John 14, verse 6, Jesus was preparing his disciples to lead in the aftermath of the end of his public ministry on the earth. And he used very specific language in speaking about his exclusive role. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was a very interesting, ear-catching statement because the rabbis of that era often would say, Torah, or the law, the first five books of Moses, Torah is the way and the truth and the life. They revered the Jewish scriptures. They revered our Old Testament. But their concept was that fulfilling the laws of the Old Testament was everything. And Jesus knew that all of the Old Testament scriptures pointed to him as the coming Messiah who would fulfill so much of what God had promised. Jesus was pointing out that his exclusive, one-of-a-kind role in the history of God's work is essential. This is why John's gospel speaks of Jesus as the one and only Son of God. Now, you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, are adopted into the family of God and we are considered sons and daughters of God. But we are not the one-of-a-kind son of God who comes from Jesus, comes from God and shares the essence of God. And that's unique about Jesus. No one else could suffer for us like Jesus. No one else could satisfy the demands of the moral law for us like Jesus. No one else could offer us his own righteousness, as does Jesus. 
Did you notice what happened when Pastor Rick Warren was asked to offer the invocation at the inauguration of President Barack Obama in 2009? Rick tried to be as inclusive as possible that day while praying in the name of Jesus. He prayed in the name of Jesus, Esau, the name of Jesus in several other languages, and finally said in English, in the name of Jesus. And as soon as the inauguration was over, the next day, the criticism started. How could they do this? How could they invite a, a Christian pastor who invokes the name of Jesus here on this public stage while the President of the United States is inaugurated? I was thinking about that this morning when my, my wife came in and I had sent her a text saying, yeah, there's a seat for you this morning. And my, I sent her a voicemail as well and my voicemail went to her phone and so she got a, a wave file, but then she also got an English translation. And because sometimes in our family we call her Suze, I started off by saying, hey Suze. And the English translation came out as, Jesus or Jesus <laughs> and she wasn't sure that this message was really for me because it was saying Jesus there's a seat for you here today <laughs> and Rick Warren was kind of in the same thing of invoking the different ways that the name of Jesus is used but he was criticized for doing that something has changed in our nation when we find days like that, when we move from the days when Billy Graham is asked to preach before all the nations, all the people in the nation because we're starving from hope, and then Rick Warren a few years later is criticized just for invoking the name of Jesus in a prayer. This is the new tolerance and what it does. A few years ago, a Jewish friend asked me if being a non-denominational Christian, as we are here at North River, was the same thing as being a Unitarian. I said, no. Here at North River, we hold to the historic claims of Jesus and the gospel. She then asked me to explain how Unitarianism and some of the other offshoots of classic Christianity uh, differ from that. And I said, well, there's a huge difference. We respect Unitarians. We like Unitarians. But Unitarians claim that all religious paths lead to God, and they believe that all truth claims are equally valid. That's the main difference. And then I went on to say, Jesus doesn't fit into that mindset. If all religious paths led to God, Jesus would not have had to suffer. He would not have had to die. He would not have had to rise again. In fact, I'm aware of a Unitarian pastor who allows any spiritual or religious book to be read in the services in their church with one exception. Do you know what that exception is? The New Testament. Because he knows that the New Testament includes verses like this one in John 14, 6, where Jesus very clearly, very decisively, very openly says, I am the way. I am the truth. And they can't handle that because they know that that one statement goes against principle number one, that all truth claims have to be seen as equally valid. And it's the exclusivity of Jesus' identity and role that runs against that. Because Jesus says, I am the one-of-a-kind, unique Son of God who has come from the very presence of God. And what declares that to be true with absolute power is the resurrection. Nobody else can come back from the dead days after dying. Nobody else can come back because of the problem of human sin. And yet Jesus was able to conquer all of that. That's why we celebrate so greatly 
at Easter. And Jesus presented an exclusive pathway with an inclusive offer. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me except, uh, no one's come to the Father except through me. But in other places, he says, all are welcome if you come by faith in him. Folks, this is very similar to the dilemma we find ourselves in physically and scientifically in the world right now. People all over this world are praying for a vaccine, for something that will either inoculate people so that they can't get the virus, or some kind of a cure that will kill the virus once it's entered your body. And the day will probably come within the next several months or a year or something like that where all of a sudden there is one of these labs that produces a virus and you know what's going to happen? We will all cheer and we will thank God for that moment. But then the choice comes. Will you take the virus, I mean, will you take the, the cure to the virus, the vaccine for the virus, or will you say, no, I want another path. I'm not sure I like the company that, that produced this one. I'm not going to take that. Or imagine, even beyond a vaccine, you had the virus, and one of these labs comes up with something that can knock it out all in one shot. Would you take that, knowing that you either take it or you risk dying? God, in His mercy, has sent his one-of-a-kind son, the only one who could come and take our sins from us and nail them to a cross and allow them to be fully paid for and then come back and offer us the same kind of life. The trouble with Jesus is that it's an exclusive pathway that he offers with an inclusive offer that is open to everybody in the entire world if only we receive him as the very son of God and we acknowledge his authority and his identity. This is why Peter and John refused to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. This is why they put their lives at risk because there's no other name with the authority to reconcile us to God. Or as Peter said in John chapter 6, no one else has the words of life. To whom shall we go for no one else has the words of life? So here's the big idea for this morning. Only way Jesus never fits with new tolerance movements because no one else compares with his identity and his authority. This is why we worship Jesus openly and why we pray to God through Jesus because no one else matches Jesus. Have you activated your faith in Jesus? You can do that by transferring your faith from yourself or whoever else you've put it in in the past, to Jesus. Why am I using this word activated? It's because a lot of people have a knowledge base that has the information about Jesus already there, but what Jesus calls for is a heart response, a transfer of trust where we fully put our trust in him. And you can do that with me right now. You can pray something like this, whether you're at home or whether you're here in the room with us today. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the one-of-a-kind Son of God. You alone have the words of life. From now on, I will trust that you alone are my Savior, 
and that you are my advocate. There is no one like you. I need the forgiveness and grace that you alone can offer. From this day on, I will follow you. Now, if you did this, you've made an important decision in your spiritual journey. And let us know. Send me an email, paul at northriverchurch.org, or click that button on your screen that says, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. We'd like to talk with you. We'd like to encourage you and help you to take next steps. And here this morning, we're going to celebrate communion together, and you are offered the opportunity to take one of these as you walk in. If you're at home, uh, perhaps you're already prepared for this. If not, um, you can come back and you can do this within your own home a little bit later. You can, you can find whatever you've got in your uh, fridge that fits or go out and get something. But we're going to celebrate communion together, hopefully for many of us all around the area. Why? Because when we do this, it reminds us of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It reminds us of our union with him and it unites us in a whole new way together, knowing that together we belong to him. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, if you carefully peel off the top layer of that wrapper, there's a little piece of wafer bread there. Go ahead and and do that and we'll eat this together. Lord Jesus, we recognize that you have come in the flesh and this bread represents your body. And we want you to reside in us through your spirit. So we eat this this as a reminder of your brokenness on our behalf. Thank you. the bread represents his body the cup represents his blood he also shed his blood for us go ahead and peel off that top layer Lord we thank you for coming and for giving all that you had for us we recognize that through your blood you have cleansed us you make us clean on the inside and you give us a hope and a message for everyone that we'll ever meet in any place in this world thank you for coming and for paying for our sins thank you for paying it all leaving nothing left undone and so we drink this in remembrance of you and in gratefulness
Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather in this place on this morning. Thank you for the richness that comes from knowing you, knowing that you guide our lives, knowing that we matter to you, knowing that you give us a mission in the world that matters. We ask that you grant us wisdom to know how to live this week. Give us such a freedom in our souls in knowing that we are forgiven by you that we can go without fear into this world, without fear of what may come, without fear of death, without fear of failure, without fear of being left behind by you. Thank you for including your children into your family and for adopting us forever and calling us your own, calling us by name. I pray that as we carry forward the love of Christ into a world that is broken and divided and full of fear, that you will cause others to see your spirit and your grace in us and thereby to glorify God. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.